old were you when you first carried a weapon? I was 13 years old. I'm representing change. I'm trying to heal, trying to plant seeds and instill self-worth. You've been in ER, The Shield, Cold Case, Criminal Minds, Shameless, and now you're Creeper in the... Mayans. Yeah, Mayans MC. It's a spinoff of Sons of Anarchy. Yeah. You go to this street and don't go past it. You go to this block, you don't go past it. 100%. 100%. And how's that determined? All right, well, let's fill in the blanks, and I have a really special guest today. He's been on my show many times and made a huge, huge difference with some really tough guests that I had, young guys that were headed down the wrong direction. I'm here with Joseph Raymond Lucero. He is an actor. He is a lot of different things, but he grew up on the mean streets, and When I say mean streets, I'm talking about he is a third-generation gang member whose parents, brothers, uncles were all in the life, struggled with heroin addiction, and Joseph was in trouble with the law at the ripe age of nine years old, was in youth detention, spent 12 of his first 26 years in the California State Penitentiary. And his son was born while he was in state prison, and that was a life-changing event for him. And I've asked him to come here today because I really want him to talk about what's going on in the streets, talk about the gang life, talk about what you need to know as parents if you've got kids that are even thinking about or toying with this, and talk to you if you're young and considering, leaning, hanging with these kinds of people. So I just want to talk about all that. So, Joseph, thank you for being here. Thank you, Dr. Phil, for having me. You've been on the show, what, a half a dozen times at least. It's been a number of years. Yes, it has. Uh, I think I'm up to six, man. It's um, unbelievable every single time. It's just beautiful. You make a huge difference with these guys because they look at me like the school principal. You know, I'm in a suit and tie, and I'm telling them what, I think, but then you come with the credibility of being where they're thinking about going, and it makes a huge difference. So let's get some history down, can we? Yes. You were born in San Diego. Yes, sir. Where did you grow up? I was born in the Logan Heights area. I grew up in uh, Lomas, Golden Hills area, which is right up the street, 26th, 25th, um, southeast San Diego. Um, My mother and father both sold heroin. Um, So with that being said, they were always getting our house raided. They were both on parole. Um, they moved to the East County, which is Al Cajon. Uh, I was around nine. My dad came home from prison, and um, that was the first time I went to juvenile hall. What was he in prison for? At that time, I, I'm something to do with the drugs, moving the heroin. He moved a lot of heroin. He was a very quiet man. You know what I'm saying? He did things proper, old school ways, you know. He was moving it, selling it? Yes, sir. Are your parents alive today? My father is uh, in heaven. My mother is alive and 10 years clean. Really? Yes. That's great. Do you have a relationship with her? Yes. I just, uh, I left her house yesterday. Oh, that's we are, great. We are building, um, we are building that relationship once again. You said you were in trouble with the law the first time when you were nine years old. Yes. What? I stole marijuana from their pantry, 
and I took it to school. There was this guy, Mr. Freeman. He used to take us every Saturday to play football. He was our third grade teacher. I loved him. This is black. He's a black coach to me. That's that's the way I seen him. And um, he was cool. And I figured people like that were cool like that were okay, like the ones that were cool in my in my house. They were all the uncles. They were all the gangsters, but I called them all uncles. So when I took the weed to school, I showed Mr. Freeman, look at this weed I got, you know what I mean? Like, you know, and he took me to the principal's office and I got arrested. And I shut that part of me down to him. And he was my, still to this day, Mr. Freeman, like brings joy to me in the sense of he was like the only teacher that I loved because it was always about sports and my physical attributes were the only thing that I had to feel good about. And then taking that weed to him and him becoming just like the police did, taking my mom away. And that's where I shut him down as maybe helping me mm-hmm. to not go down the path that I did. When you were growing up, I assume you say your dad was involved in heroin. Was he gangbanging at the time? Yes, he was. It was a different level of gangbanging. It wasn't the level of gangbanging that we see today where you, you post up on the streets. You know what yeah. I mean? Um he was on a different level. It was more of a money-making thing, but he had a lot of respect in the neighborhood because right. he did a lot of things. Now, when you hit the prison system, it's a whole different ballgame. You know what I mean? And my father was in and out of prison all the time, you know, and he had he had a lot of love and a lot of respect because he was a very committed man. Now, you were in youth detention first time nine years old, but then you were in youth detention on and off, right? Yes. When was the first time you were actually involved directly with a gang? I want to say about 10 or 11. We started off uh, skateboarding. We called ourselves Team Tiny. Myself, uh, Michael Nillis, Travis Eamon, um, Tyson Haynar. And that was turned out to be my homeboy Trippy, my homeboy Smokey, my homeboy Silent. We went from being skaters to pretty much getting jumped all the time by all the gangs around we finally said f it you know what i mean we started our own gang and when that happened there was only like five or six of us and now there's i mean there's hundreds of them you know what i mean and it's still a going concern it's still a going concern yeah i've I walked away from that years ago yeah you know when you say you were getting jumped a lot by gangs what does that mean you would be in in their neighborhood, how did you intersect with these guys? To and from school, you know, you come across anybody that, you know, where are you from, homie? You know what I mean? And basically, if you're not from your neighborhood, you're going to, you're susceptible to an ass whooping, if not a shooting or a stabbing. Mm-hmm. At that time, we were still fighting, even though the guns were, they, they, they were they were there. You know what I mean? Um, to and from school, you would have shootouts. So, I mean, sometimes we did school. And we couldn't tell you why we did school. You know I mean, oh, you didn't want to come to school. It was hard to get to school sometimes. How old were you when you first carried a weapon? I was 13 years old. And uh, I remember my father, my stepfather, and I don't use that term a lot because he's not my biological father, but he was the father that that accepted me and was there for me, you know. Um, and he was fully in that engulfed in that but he did change his life at the end of his life because he ended up dying of pancreatic cancer and when i say he taught me certain things on how to induct myself as a young gang member he knew the right way if that's even proper to say because there's no promotion from my end for the gangs but he wanted me to live it the right way you know very contradictive you know don't hurt women or children 
But if that's the opposition across the table, then you do what you need to do to make sure that we stand we stand tall always. Um, I bring a gun home, and my dad slapped the shit out of me. And I remember crying and him saying to me, what's going to happen when six dudes run up on you and jump you? I'm going to fight. I'm going to scrap. Take an ass whooping. Shut up. And he slapped me again. You're lying to me. You're going to pull that gun out and you're going to shoot. And then you're going to do something that you're never going to forgive yourself for and you're never going to be able to take back. You're going to take somebody's life. You're going to spend the rest of your life in prison. And that was the first time in my life that I had really understood maybe how important or what guns could really do. Because here's somebody that I looked up to and wanted to be like, and he's shooting that that down, that avenue down for me. And all my homeboys had guns. And he taught me the fighting. You know, you there's you know, he just taught me certain things to be a proper gang member. And I hate to use that because there's nothing proper or, or right about being a gang member. But there is a culture and there are mores and folkways within the gang. They have a protocol, they have a code of conduct within the gangs, right? Yes, sir. And that's what he was teaching you. Yes, sir. So you didn't run afoul of that and disrespect somebody without realizing what disrespect looked like or what behaviors would be interpreted that way. Yeah. And then the consequences to follow that. You know what I mean? I wasn't aware of those things. This was the first time I got the tattoo. I got San Diego on the back of my neck. He wanted to slap the shit out of me again. San Diego's big. You don't own San Diego. What the hell did you do to, to put that city on the back of your neck? And I remember thinking, I thought I was cool. I got San Diego. I'm tattooed like my dad. I'm getting closer to being like the man that, that I want to be that's just, that doesn't see me as his son or whatever the case may be. I thought I was becoming more like him because I was becoming more of a cholo and I was, I was putting in work. I was getting the tattoos. I was trying to be like him. I thought that's what I had to do to, to earn that love. And I got another school in on tattoos. You earn those. You don't just put them on. Lames put them on. You're not a lame, son. And what's a lame? In his way, a lame would be somebody that is doing the gang stuff for all the wrong reasons and has all the bad schooling techniques on how to be a gang member. If you're going to be a gang member, do it right. It's very contradictive. We don't hurt women or children. We do what we do, and the opposition knows that they're the opposition and we're their opposition. So there's an understanding between the two of us. So 13 was the first time you carried a gun, and... He didn't much like it. So did you put the gun down for a while and then start carrying again? Did you stay armed during your time when you were in the gangs? At different times I did, and at different times I didn't because I, always in the back of my head I knew. I didn't want to kill anybody. Even in, I would picture scenarios were going to happen, and I would have these flashes and I knew in my heart that I wasn't a killer. I knew in my heart that I never wanted to take anybody's life. And I started to carry a gun less and less. You know what I mean? And it didn't take away from my loyalty to my homeboys in representing, but I was an educated one too. And I was taught from the older ones that I wasn't just somebody that just jumped when they said jump, that I had some sort of brain power and that was able to strategic, uh, strategize certain situations and I had no idea you know what I mean I'm just trying to please the next person so I can get some fulfillment of the void that I'm missing in my chest whatever it takes I'm gonna I'm gonna fill it up I've heard you say that when these young guys are talking about 
the loyalty and the pride and the support within the gangs that that may be misplaced, but that it's very real. That when they feel the sense of belongingness and the sense of loyalty and support to the gang, that it's a real thing. There really is a bond there. 1,000%. I can only speak from, from my experiences, Dr. Phil, and it was the hardest thing. It's, it's, it's one of the insecurities that still comes up today that I feel that I betrayed them. Some of them were my best friends. We did all the wrong, all the wrong things, but I thought for all the right reasons to stay connected and to have that love. And that's why I believe I'm here with you. You know, I have to make amends for the rest of my life. You know what I mean? Like there's some people I'll never be able to say sorry to and I wish I could, man. It makes me want to cry right now. I won't be able to, but that's okay because I'm on this path, you know? Um, the love is real because when you don't know love and you find acceptance, that's love. It may be chaotic, but it's love. And when you find that, you don't want to let that go. I heard you say on one of your, your, I've been listening to your podcast and I love the me because only me, I have control of me. But I caught a glimpse when we were talking about one of our past uh, guests and just the beginning stages of reaching out and that acceptance of being and the baby knowing that that's, that's my nurture right there. That's the one I can trust to love to. I didn't find that. My mama loved me and I knew that, but I found that even more on the street because my mom's always going back to prison. My dad's always going back to prison. So it was on their terms to love me. In the streets, it was on my terms. It was on my terms with my homeboys. I was able to show them love that not even the police could take. Give me 20 years, I'll never tell. I'll do the time, I'll put in the work because I built that. Nobody could take that away but me, but me. That was my purpose for so many years, but I was just angry, resentful, insecure, I felt abandoned and I didn't know which way or how to run, but that love, man, that love was real. So you're not getting it at home. Then you go out and you bond with these guys and it's like, we're all in this together. It's a brotherhood and to that death. feels real. That It was real. It, it was real. It, as we say it right now, I still feel it. Not the loyalty to it, but that it's real because some of them are dead. Some of them are in the bay. Some of them are doing the rest of their lives and never able to come home because of what we believed in and what we started. And I wish they, I wish they could find something that, and know even in there, if they have to stay in there for the rest of their lives, that they're worthy to change. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I still feel that that loyalty to help them grow because what I feel, Doctor Phil, this, I feel alive. I haven't felt alive like. The last five years, I've been more alive in my life. This month is like, I've been on your show six times, man. You have went, a, you have went out of your way to want me on your show. My insecurities run rapid. The fuck does Dr. Phil want me, Joseph Lucero? Why would you want me after all I've done? You know, and then I shut those, those down because I have healed that. But I have to embrace that. And I talk to my sponsor and I let the ones that I trust and I know that these these little, that, that I'm hitting with these demons again, that they're, they're coming up because they, they're questioning it because I'm a self-sabotager. I get in my own way because I'm insecure sometimes. But that's the old me. Now I have people to, to have that support and hopefully work through that. But do you give yourself credit? Like you and I have worked together, as you say, a half a dozen times with 
young men that were really on the precipice. They were on the edge of the cliff. And I mean, I've seen you come and just really give from the heart, really dig for these kids that you didn't know until you got here and make a huge monumental difference in their lives. Are you able to give yourself credit for that? Yes, in the sense of that I I connected with them on their terms, not on mine. I found similarities. And to see the joy just, just a little bit, you know what I mean? Gabe rapping, Jason being able to go on his trip with his mom. Yeah. I still communicate with Chaz. This morning, he's all over my, all over my social media because mm-hmm. he wants to call out this kid. And I simply hit him back with, no, it's okay. Hey, it's not about judging, baby boy. It's, we have to have the patience. It's not about the hood. It's about the pain in our chest. And four comments, back, 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 back. His last one was, you're right, big bro. Hands, praying hands up, change is possible. And that reinforces that I'm doing, and I feel good about that because the young man started hostile. Mm-hmm. Wants to judge this man. You the same kid. You young <laughs> Bieber looking. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? But you have pain in your chest that nobody can can contest that. And that's real. So that's all I wanted to tap into. I just find the similarities that I had as a kid. Does it feel strange to you that everybody around here on the Dr. Phil team has embraced you the way they have? It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Every time I walk in, I, I just smile. Like, everybody's smiling. Like, I'm just like... And then the moment you told, you know, me that you wanted me back that when my son was here... That's monumental for my son. Like that alone, you, his life I've been doing, we've been doing this, but then somebody of your stature saying, I would like you to meet with so-and-so and figure out something for this or that, for the future, whatnot. And that was just so beautiful. My son seen that. And I was just like, my son's telling me, yeah, pop, it's because of what, how you talk to us. Same way you talk to my friends, the same way you embrace that kid. And my son, like who I left the first six years, five, eight, five years, five years, eight months of his life and abandoned him and his mother and why I went to prison because I thought I was the tough guy, you know, and had to leave her out there to raise him. And now we've built that, that, that relationship. Yeah. I talked to him that day, aside from you a bit, he's very proud of everything you've done and are doing. He was proud of you here that day. He's proud of his dad and you're <laughs> proud of him. I know. Oh man. Now, let me ask you something. People wonder about this. You see the gangs, and you said it's different now where they, you call it post up on the streets. They spend a lot of time on the street hanging out. Is it all about what? Are they doing drug deals? What are they doing on the streets? I mean, it's to each their own as far as the gangs. Every gang, every neighborhood has their own set of bylaws. They have their own cultural influences within every single neighborhood. So whatever has been passed down from the generation prior is usually what is running their train of thought and their belief system in the present. And that could be whatever, kids coming from prison, bringing prison politics. Maybe they're just drug dealers and just want to get money to get out of the neighborhood because you hear a lot of that too. And they're like, I just want out of the neighborhood. That's all you know how. I've gone into some of these neighborhoods when I was a case manager for Homeboy Industries, and I got 
three and four-year-olds that can spell out gang signs with their fingers but cannot write letters or numbers on a piece of paper mm -hmm. and that will not say any C words when they're speaking to me or not say any B words when they're speaking to me. And that would blow me away, but it gives you a glimpse into not just their parents and their home life, but the community as well. And it's not necessarily a bad thing because that love is real. It becomes bad when we start to promote the gang violence and we start to commit crimes and we start to victimize those around us and we start to just have no respect for law and rights of others. That's what needs to be addressed and stopped. But that's not going to stop until I believe it's a mental health issue with our youth, with our adults. And if we understood what the, where the pain came from, these kids could take that as a class, younger than young, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And be able to embrace that. They would get fundamental skills, fundamental daily skills, moment by moment skills which I think are more important than two plus two right about now because the way our youth is just running from us. You know what I mean? Like it's, it, it, it's sad. Like I, it breaks my heart. I'm so blessed to be in my kid's life. My kids have both their parents. It breaks my heart. These other kids that my daughter befriends and they don't have that. And you want to just, you want to coddle them. You want to do more. You want it like, it's like you just want to help because kids shouldn't hurt. Dr. Phil, right? They, they shouldn't. I've said this before, but I told my kids when they were growing up, Jay and Jordan, I told them, you guys have two jobs. One is get an education, and two is have a damn good time doing it. Kids are supposed to be joyful. They're supposed to have fun. They're supposed to laugh, and they're supposed to feel safe and have a good time and get their education to prepare them for the next level of life. Kids aren't supposed to be in pain and be afraid and, you know, fighting for their life. You know, that's just not part of the equation, but it is for a lot. Let me ask you something. Staples Center, for example, in LA or, you know, any, you know, big arena in any city, but we'll use Staples because we're in LA. If a citizen, you know, some guy from the suburbs and his wife or girlfriend, kids, let's say they're going to Staples and, you know, they park five or six blocks away. And so they're walking through some neighborhood where, gang members are posted up, are they at risk? This day and age, you're always at risk, right? But usually the Latino gangs, they won't, as a gang member, want to mess with them, especially if there's kids or women. Now, the dope fiend in them, you got to remember, gang members are criminals. Not all criminals are gang members, but every gang member I've come across is a criminal. So that's two different jackets you're wearing. You know what I mean? Right. So if I'm a gang member and a criminal and I have a, I have sexual dysfunctions that nobody knows about, and then I use heroin as well. So when I go out and I see this lady walking by, I may not say nothing to the homies, let her go, but I may leave. I got to go. And then I go rob that family. And then maybe I get my little taste because I'm sick in the head. And then I go back to the homies. Now I got money for my dope. And now I'm going to take the homies and go buy a gun and we're going to go gangbang. I just committed four crimes in one. Mm -hmm. But when I get arrested for just the one, the, the shooting, is I'm just a gang member. But I got sexual dysfunctions. I'm, a, I'm under substance abuse because I, I abuse that. And I'm addicted to a certain lifestyle. So there's like 
That's like five different crimes in concert with each other. I'm not just a gang member. I'm not just a criminal. Does that make sense? And But to answer your question as far as is that, I believe they are, but not to the fact that gang members want to hurt innocent people. No, it would be more of, if that was the case, I would think it would be more that they want the, they want the purse. They want, they, they want to rob somebody. Yeah. Has it happened in the past? Yeah. And that gets checked really quick because gang members don't look to hurt innocent people, if that makes sense. And it's so contradictive. They look for other gang members because every gang member signs up. And when we sign up, where we do, whether we know it or not, we're signing our lives on to represent. That means to die for or to kill for, for some. This is a general question, and I'm sure it differs from gang to gang. But is there a point where a gang will look at an individual and say, this guy's too messed up. We don't want this guy. He's too much of a homicidal maniac. He's too mentally ill. He's just too unpredictable. No. No, as a matter of fact, you're more you're more accepted. You know what I mean? Because it's the outcasted. This is the only place you're gonna be accepted. Yeah. Is here. So you can be a complete homicidal maniac. That's just credentials. You fit right in. You're one of us. Nobody else accepts you, we do. That's interesting. Because you never know what they're going to do, right? No, you, you you don't. And how I mean, how when do you really know that they are a homicidal maniac? After they've pretty much already been in the neighborhood and committed crimes, and then you're like, this fool's nuts. You know what I'm saying? This fool blasting in broad daylight, cameras right there. Like Then you're like, this dude does not care. Or this dude has got so much pain in his chest that he would do anything to prove to get earn his love or whatever the case may be. You create this persona, you don't want to let it go and you don't want nobody to take it from you and you're willing to die for it or you're willing to spend the rest of your life in prison for it. And that's the sad part because you don't, you, you don't, get, you don't get another chance at life. You know, we always hear about territories for the gangs. Is that a real geographical boundary territory? 100%. And there are streets that you go to this street and don't go past it. You go to this block, you don't go past it. 100%. 100%. And how's that determined? You read the walls. You call it you call it graffiti and defacing property. I call it the, the, it's the Bible in that sense. I know where I'm at, so it tells me who's there, who's running this, and where not to go. You know what I mean? And that's part of the, the problem, I think, with the system is they stand to overstand rather than simply understanding that. And that would be something that you would use to help innocent people, quote unquote, know where they're walking, know where they're going. You know what I mean? Put some light on that so they're able to understand, like, hey, you know, maybe you should stay away from it because it says it right here. If you got an air conditioning repair shop and it's in the wrong neighborhood, you just can't go there. You just can't go there, you know? You can go there and, and, and you know, people do it. You know, it's kind of like, you know, what's going on right now, you know, you, People are going to travel and do what they're going to do anyways, you know? But it's just, it's like, I wouldn't go there if I'm from a certain gang and my family's not going to go to that side if my enemies go there. You know what I'm saying? Because now we've put ourselves in danger and our parents in danger, which they, they get put in danger without even knowing they're in danger. Do you have friends in other gangs? Yes. When you were in the gangs? Did yes. you have friends in the other gangs where yes. you guys off to the side would be able to talk. Yes. I had a lot a lot of homies from outside outside of my area because I was locked up a lot. So being locked up, I wasn't just locked up in San Diego. I was locked up in Arizona, Nevada, locked up 
here in uh, Nellis. Then I went up to Paso Robles, Fred C. Nellis, um, YTS, and uh, Ventura Boys School for Boys. I graduated high school before I was 17 in California Youth Authority. Then I went to YTS, which is the youth training school in Chino. They shut that down, I believe. Um, and then I came home uh, July 24th, 1996. And uh, 20 days later, uh, you know, faced with a lot of time. So if they're in the gang in the next geographical area, you just see them not in your area or not in theirs, just some neutral ground somewhere? Yeah. Um, if there's no beef, see, gangs are, 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 they are very contradictive, man. It's And that's the best way to explain it because one minute I'm shooting you and your whole neighborhood because we're enemies. And the next minute I'm giving you soaps, spreads, so because you, you just rolled up to my block and I'm taking care of you. And this is the contradictiveness that would psychologically mess with us because you just your neighborhood just killed five of my homeboys. All I care about is retaliation. But I'm in jail and now you're coming in, your gang's coming in, and because we represent a certain faction of California, I'm going to take care of you but you just murdered five of my homeboys in the last year. I have to take care of you. So you're forced in that sense to conduct yourself in a certain manner, you know, because the secret of success is what? The element of surprise. You know what I mean? Like these things are fed to us and it's a form of brainwashing to where we believe it. We believe it 1000%. There's no question in it. So you're saying gangs that are competitive on the outside might, merge inside prison to coexist yeah so they can have strength and in numbers inside racial along racial lines right so it's along racial lines it's along racial lines yeah whether you're racial or not it doesn't matter you're gonna roam with your own bottom line you you in the minute you don't you become the opposition yeah i mean nobody wants to become the opposition because of death but on top of that you become the opposition then you lose everything you've built then you're right back to square one with that little kid with the void you're just a big-ass kid with the void. Who do I become now? So you might be bonded in prison with somebody that you would be antagonistic to in the neighborhood. Oh, hell yeah, if not take their life. Yeah. If not taking their life, yes. And that works in prison. Yeah, you have no choice but to accept that, you know? So everybody says, okay, time out. We're in here, so all it's, bets it's, are off. Without even saying that, you when you walk in there, you know it. And if you take anything into your own hands, is you know you you face consequences for that. You know when you walk in and you bond in along racial lines, does that keep you safe? It doesn't. Does doesn't depends. It depends on what prisons you're in. You know what I mean. You got level ones all the way to 180 designs. You know what I mean. Um, shoe designs. I mean, shoe programs are just no human contact whatsoever. You know what I mean. And it's just psychologically, psychological warfare. They're trying to break you down. You know what I mean? Completely just deplete you and dehumanize you. Um, and, but that's what we do in order to keep keep our minds sane. You know what I'm saying? Is is that connection and the working out and some sort of discipline to keep sane in those moments? So you just watch each other's back, pretty much. Yeah. But it's bull too because the next person is always trying to take your, your either take your place or get you out of their way. You know, it's just, it's, it's, it's that, that bucket, in, uh, the crap in a bucket. So you were in for 12 years total, right? Yeah. 
What's the most serious crime that you did time for? Uh, 664-187. Uh, it was uh, attempted murder on three people. Individual was shot, colostomy bag, me in a wheelchair for the rest of his life. Um, and uh, I faced 44 to life, doubled up, 88 to life on the second strike. Um, my son was being born. You know, there was a, was one of the first 186-22A, 186-22B, um, one of the first to be charged under those new laws, which basically is the Street Terrorism Act. It's a federation, it's a feds RICO act. They used it as in the, for the state cases because there's no answer to gangs. Um, so let's just lock them all up and that has saved the world, you know? So you were looking at 88 to life? Yeah, second strike. How'd you get out in 12? I only did six. I stayed in the county jail two years. Um, I fought it, I fought it, I fought it. I got a deal. Two individuals told on themselves in my case, and we drug it out and drug it out. And when I watched all this deception, they were willing to let all of us go down for it. I started to question what I was standing for, what I was representing. And the birth of my son would eat at me every single day, every single day, every single day. I would cry, I would cry in the county jail when nobody could see me at night in my cell. And I was fighting this battle with God. Like I wanted to walk away from the gangs, but I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to, I want to leave it. I just want to be a, I want to be a dad. I don't want to do this to my son. I don't want it because he was going to, next thing you know, he's going to be my Sally in 20 years. Those are the things that I thought. Those are the things that I felt. And that was the seed planted for myself to start to change. And then all of a sudden I said, you know what, I'm done. And when I, when I said I was done, I became the opposition. So be it. I had a purpose in life, to be a father, my son. The first page of a book never tells the full story. And those news alerts and headlines, like the ones we get on our phones, don't even scratch the surface of what the story is really all about. Stories are like people, multi-layered and complex. It takes some digging to find the truth, but when we find it, it can change our world. We like to dig. The news on Merritt Street, essential television. How many members are in the gang you actually started now? I don't know the numbers now. I don't. I keep in contact with a couple of them because they have Two changed their lives. I would say there's a couple hundred, definitely. Do they see you as a bad guy? Yeah, of course. I'm a traitor. I walked away. You know what I mean? That's okay. It's. I mean, because I would feel the same way about myself when you when you're representing that. Do you ever run across them? Yes. I was just in Costco yesterday in San Diego and droopy and look, somebody that I know. And it's funny you asked that because he was like, man, I ain't seen you in 20 something years, blah, 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 blah. You know, I'm, he was saved, um, born again Christian, which was awesome, you know, but right away those, those little tennis, they don't never go away. You, yeah. They could be in dormant for 20 years. I hear that name and I'm just like, it's going to be problems or it's somebody that, has accepted me for who I am. If it's somebody that's still active and they saw you, would they be aggressive? They could be if they wanted to. If they wanted to, they could, of, of course, because they're representing um, 
the opposite of what I'm representing. I'm representing change. I'm trying to heal, trying to plant seeds and, and instill self-worth. I want people to find joy in life. And that's totally against what, you know, we represented before. You know what I mean? We found love. Is it something you worry about? I'm aware of, I think is, it used to give me anxious, used to give me anxiety. Um, but I, I, I owned up to it because I was like, they wanted to kill me when I was gangbanging. What's the difference now? Now I'm just doing something right. Yeah. You know? This is this is no question. There's no turning back on this. You know what I mean? When were you released? April 8th, 2003. Tell me about Father Greg Boyle. Man. Uh, unconditional love. One of the first I've known. Um, I met him in the California Youth Authority in the early 90s. Um, he had he had brown hair then. <laughs> um, and I didn't understand. I remember I was in Fred C. Nellis. Um, I was in the Rose, I was in Roosevelt and the guys, uh, in Taft used to, cause it was Taft lockup. He used to go and, and visit him. And then on Sundays there would be like 50 Mexicans shaking this priest's hand. And I always wanted to know why. So I ended up going and meeting him and he has just this thing about him that he welcomes you in with this just feeling that I hadn't felt. And I, I still remember this feeling and it was just weird. And I was just like, oh, he's an LA priest. Like I'm, I'm always been respectful of God. Um, long story short, I seen him again, uh, right after the bombings in 2001. Um, I was in the shoe and it had been like, I just seen him because right away he's like, Hey son, he does not remember names, but when it says, when he, when he says, Hey son, how are you? It just, it melts you. Somebody remembers you, like in this world of shit that you're going through. Somebody of of his stature, like, wants to know how you're doing with that big grin of love. And uh, he offered me a, a job when I came home from prison, and um, I started working for him. And my life just started to blossom. He showed me that I had a voice, um, that I had a story that needed to be told, that needed to be told, and started doing me keynote speeches for him. And that's when I realized the power behind the story of redemption and why I should keep doing this no matter what, no matter how I feel or whatnot, that I need to keep doing this. Yeah, I don't know him well, but we've crossed paths and he's got a bakery, right? Yeah. He's got he's got the bakery, uh one thirty West Bruno, LA, California, nine double oh one two. Uh the Homegirl Cafe is there. They got a cafe in City Hall in LAX. They're doing good. They're doing great. Mental health has become huge. It's it's they are taking the front end of the mental health because they see because they deal with whoever else doesn't want them. Homeboy Industries wants you. All these all the gangsters, the trollers, the ones that want out. We want you. Can't get a job somewhere else. Come to Homeboys. And we've learned that it's not just the job that taking off your tattoos and then let's get your child support and all your tickets taken care of. Let's get you an ID. Let's get your, your GED or your high school diploma. Let's get you a college, you know, track if you want to get that. Let's get you into counseling, introduce you into mental health, and hopefully they embrace that and they're able to heal. They bring in from the father's point of view, from the mother's point of view. We have a, which my favorite group is Criminals and Gang Members Anonymous. And Criminals and Gang Members Anonymous is a 12-step program based on a lifestyle addiction. It's not just substance abuse or it's it's a lifestyle addiction, which I think you would you would love, actually. Mm -hmm. But Homeboys is, is just one of a kind, you know? And 
it's not going to be there forever. You know, at least Father Greg's not. That's that's sometimes the worry, you know. Right, of course. So how did you get into acting? Well, I wanted to act as, you know, as a kid. I would, I would be everything else that was on TV that wasn't in my home. Like, that was, that's how it was. Um, even to becoming a gang member. I mean, I think about it, it was the role I ended up playing. And I played that like Joaquin Phoenix. You know what I mean? I embraced yeah. it to the to the 10th. But I got into it one day. Paramount came to uh, Homeboy Industries. They were casting for Gridiron Gang. Um, and they needed some uh, some real-looking youth uh, to play in Camp Kilpatrick up there in Malibu. And so Father Greg calls me over, Joseph, come here. Joey Ray, come here. And yeah, he's like, you're in charge of this. Okay, so I started getting all these guys in. So... As I'm taking them uh, right here in Santa Monica to this huge uh, audition because it was an opening cast, there's 500 people there. Well, I have nine of the baddest from South Central. Like, and I was like, I cannot leave these guys here. They're yeah. going to, like, all these guys are, you know, fake bandanas and they're coming for the part. You know what I mean? Like, uh, and I got the real deal. So I ended up staying. It was like five-hour wait. And it was the best thing I could ever did because Phil Jeanne was the director and uh, him and Jeff McGuire were there. And... I was the last person. I'm in slingshot uh, shorts and uh, flip-flops because I was going to play handball at Venice. It was my day off when Father Gray needed me to do this. Long story short, he's, Phil Jean was says, uh, would you like to be in a movie? And I remember just saying, like, <laughs> do we question? Hell yeah, I want to be in a movie. Like, hell yeah, you know? And uh, I couldn't believe it. I was, I, was in a, you know, I, was, I was in the movie. And then three weeks into that, Dwayne, um, The Rock, uh, Jeff McGuire and Phil Janwa and then uh, uh, Mike Rackmill come to me and um, Neil Moritz walks up and they were like, Neil's like, did you tell him? And then Jeff's like, well, this is the problem. Do you know what continuity is? And I was like, I have no idea what continuity is. Like, not. And he was like, well, so he breaks down continuity. He was like, basically, you stand out because you're all tatted up. We're doing football drills for three the last three weeks. Everybody here wants to know who you are. So that means the audience is going to want to know who the hell you are. So we have a dilemma. We're either going to need to cut you out, refilm the last three weeks, or we're going to create you a position. You'll know Monday. When I walked in Monday, I was Chavez, the heavily tattooed kid, and I had a trailer. And um, man, Neil Moritz uh, tapped hardly me, and uh, my life just, I, I cried. I couldn't believe it. You know, that the insecurities come up. Why me? Yeah. Why do I deserve this? Why not these guys? You know what I mean? In those next five years, I started to blossom. I was hitting guest stars like crazy, but I became an alcoholic. Um, I figured if I don't do drugs and stuff like that, I should be okay. Everybody drinks, so I should be okay. No. Demons are coming up as I drink. I, I can never drink. I can't have one drink. You know what I mean? The, the old me comes up and I couldn't... Now I cannot ever let that happen one day at a time. But I needed for that to happen and uh, I hit my rock bottom. And I have not had a drink um, since. My day is uh, single the Mile 2015, but it's actually the third, the Pacquiao um, Mayweather fight. That was the last time I was I drank. Um, I woke up in jail in, in the morning. What year was that? 2015. 2015? 2015, yeah. Oh, so that's been five years. Yeah, this uh, this May, single the Mile will be five yeah. years, yes, sir. You've been in ER, The Shield, Cold Case, Criminal Minds, Shameless, and now you're creeper in the Mayans yeah Mayans MC it's a spinoff of Sons of Anarchy yeah they're in their third season right yeah we're starting to coming up on our third season and uh, we start pretty soon here pretty soon I mean I'm I mean I'm on my third season Dr. Phil like 
The first season, I wouldn't have made it out of, dude. The end of the first season, I, w- I remember going to Elgin James and saying, like, I was almost in tears. Like, I started something and completed it, which was huge for me because I'll start everything and I never follow through with the completion. So that was monumental for me in my little walk, you know? Yeah. How many episodes do you shoot? 10. We have 10 episodes. And are you in all 10 of them? Uh, I was in nine of last year. Oh, so um, you're, that's a big yeah, it was, part. It was a chunk. The year before, on first I was in uh, eight, only because I was shot the first, coming in the opening, uh, uh, spoiler alert, uh, season one opening up on the pilot, I was shot in the shoulder. But I took a bullet for the hood already, so that's basically letting them know I'm loyal to the game. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it was, it was a beautiful thing to be able to tap into that, that nasty life that I lived but the healing that I've done and the understanding with it, I'm able to tap into it and then tap out yeah. of it if I need to and bring truth to that world. Well, tell me this, and we've talked about this on the show before, but if we've got people listening to this right now, whether they're young people that are thinking it's the cool, badass thing to do to get in the gang, or we've got parents whose kids are starting to dress like a gangbanger and starting to walk and talk and kind of take on the persona and are flirting with that life, what do you say to them? I say to the kid or the parent? The kid. It's not necessarily what I would say. It's, it's we get to know him. You got to spend a day with a kid like that unless, you know, I got this sheet spread out for me the way you do it. So that's one thing, like, it's beautiful that you're able to do. When you have... It cold and raw, you just have to listen. For me, I listen. And I will find a few things of similarities between us. And that's what lets me know the kid's pain or whatnot. And then I'm able to hopefully connect on that pain to where he'll give me some sort of ear, just a little bit, so I can hit him with something. And then whatever, I can't, so I can't give you a precise answer to that besides I, I, I listen and and their pain will speak to me if i'm if i'm truly tuned in and just listening like they they will say something that i that i have felt and i can relate to and i try to tap into that and then hopefully build that relationship because i can tell a kid what not to do and he's going to shut down on me because i'm another authority figure judging the shit out of him and telling him what not to do because how many times have i worked with a kid that all he wants to do jason was that like the first one? I just just listen to me. I just want I want time with my mom. That was probably the, the toughest one, because I was that little boy that just wanted my mom. For me, it's getting that, building that relationship to hopefully they, when I do hit them, that they're more, they'll be more receptive that rather than resistant, because they're already resistant. Everybody's judging them. They're scared. They're apprehensive. Walls up. Why would I bring it down? You know what I mean? And I know that and I accept that. So I have to be ready for that. So I try to just listen. I hope that answered. No, I think it does. The same thing you said when you were going that direction because you weren't getting at home what you could get from the gang, the acceptance, the sense of belongingness and stuff. If these kids are looking at that kind of lifestyle, I mean, seriously looking at it, there's a reason. You know, the number one need in all people is acceptance. And the number one fear is rejection. 
if somebody is looking to fit in some way like this, it's because there's a void. They're not getting it somewhere else. And that's where they're vulnerable. Because if you feel loved and valued at home and you feel like you fit in, you belong, you're wanted, you're welcomed, and you go out onto the street and somebody says, well, you're welcome here. They're going to say, well, yeah, I'm welcome at home too. I mean, why do I need this when I've got people that love me at home? You know, I always say that to fathers about their daughters. They always say, you know, how do I keep my daughter from hooking up with some guy, getting pregnant early before she's ready to have a family or whatever? And I say, you do it by making her feel really special making her feel valued, making her feel like a princess, making her value herself so much that she's not going to let some guy use her body as a playground. Because the truth of the matter is, if you as a father have told her she's special and wonderful and you love her, and she goes out and some guy says, hey, you're special and I love you, she said, yeah, I know. I've been hearing that since I was two years old. What else you got? She's not going to be vulnerable to that. But if she's never heard it, never felt that way, the first guy that blows in her ear and says that, you know, she's going to be drawn to that. And it's the same way, you know, here. I mean, if somebody feels really loved and special at home, they're not going to be vulnerable to being drawn into this kind of lifestyle. Well said. That whole picture just, I can see I'm seeing my daughter and is the relationship we have. And that's the thing, too, like, I, I, I with, the, with the dads is, I don't want dads to be dads because it makes us feel so beautiful inside when we actually participate. And sometimes you don't have to participate the way our insecurities will shut us down from even trying. Like just being present and, and, and being there is is sometimes just enough to start the process of healing or, or in a better direction. Yeah, I'll guarantee you. It's like being at their games and their recitals and stuff like that. They may not make a big deal out of you being there, but they sure notice when you're not. Yes. And, you know, they may not want you standing up and embarrassing them and stuff like that, but when you're not there, that seat looks real empty. Yes, and that's the seat I used to always look up. And I already knew my parents weren't coming because they were in jail, but, you know, you wished. Because yeah. I swear, Dr. Phil, I, I will say this with pride, I was my physical attributes are ridiculous. I should be playing pro ball somewhere. But it is what it is, right? You know what I mean? I'm blessed to be where I'm at. I wouldn't I wouldn't change it for the world. You know what I mean? I'm on I'm on filling the blanks right now. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. having a conversation with Dr. Phil, a man that made change possible. Well, tell me about your son. Joseph Raymond Lucero Jr. I met him and he is an impressive young man. He's uh Good-looking young man. He's articulate. He's intelligent. He's got a presence about him. You've done a lot of right things with him. You and his mother his have mama. done a lot of right things with that guy. Yeah, his mama. His like I abandoned them the first six years of his life. His mama has never, not once, abandoned him. You know what I'm saying? Any of the kids, she has stood up to that bottom line. So all that is is entailed to her, you know. Um, and then she allowed me right back in her life as soon as I came home from prison because she knows what it's like, the importance of having both of us there. And But him, I mean, from he's had this temperament since he was born. You know, race has never been an issue. All his, most of his majority of his friends 
black, white, Asian. Like, I love that. You know what I mean? Like, he doesn't all oh, have to be with the Mexicans. So the Mexicans are, you know what I mean? None of that is impressive to him. And spinning sports since I came home from prison, because I always felt sports is something that was is great for any young man or young woman. Um, and his education, his mom, his, you know, he's never missed a meal. He's never not had a roof over his head. He's never not been told he, he he's not loved. He's every single day of his life since he's been born, his mother has been there, you know, and since I've been home from prison, I've been there, you know, and it's the importance of having parents, I believe, and knowing that nourishment and love, you know what I mean? And he has blossomed by knowing that in his chest and having that. He graduated high school. Now he's graduated college. He's, he, and even through college, he worked full time. Foot Locker, then Verizon. Now Verizon, he's 21. They want to make him the district manager. Yeah. The youngest one. But he sees other things in his future, but that, that, that demeanor and that poise that he has, but it's his humility and love for people that just blows me away. That he cares. And that you can't teach. You either have that or you don't. And he's got that. And I love that because he takes other people and their feelings into consideration before he makes his own decisions. And I don't know too many 21-year-olds that can do that. Yeah, no, he's impressive in that regard. How proud are you that he's done what he's done, gone to college, all of that? Oh, That's got to be something special for you. It's unbelievable, man. It's You can't put it into words. You can just let it flow down your eyes. Down your cheeks. <laughs> so tell me about this daddy-daughter dance right here. Uh, that's my baby Brooklyn Love Lucero. Uh, what did I do? I flew in uh, and went straight to San Diego. Um, got there in time for her. And she is, she's my, she's like me. She's, she's, man, she's my everything. You know, all my kids are my everything, but they all, they all have their, their own personal, unique, just specialness about them. And it's, Man, my all my babies melt me, and I just love it. That's my youngest. That, that's my Evelyn Faith. <laughs> that's her fifth birthday. Just look at that. At one point in your life, did you ever think you would have this in your life? Nah, man. Nah, nah, nah. I I, uh, I used to dream about it for my son. Man, I used to dream about. I used to dream about that in prison for my son, and and I just promised myself I would never, I would never do to my kids what was done to me. And the cycle had repeated, but I made a strong choice. And promise that I would change in one day at a time we have. Yeah, you got to be proud of that family. That's my babies right there, man. We're looking at pictures, if you're listening, and we'll put these on the website so you can see, because it's a beautiful, beautiful family. Those are my babies. <laughs> That's what it's all about, right? That is what it's all about, man. This is why I'm here. And their mama. Their mama is, man, God sent too, man. If somebody's in a gang and they do want out, what's the first step? What do they do? Call 323-526-1254, Homeboy Industries. And if you are out of Los Angeles, call 800-526-1254. Ask for Joseph Raymond Lucero. Ask for Jose Ariano. Ask for Hector Verdugo. Ask for Shirley Torres. These are all individuals at Homeboy Industries that will bend over backwards to get you where you need to be or somebody to get to you in the right place. And they're all people that have walked this walk and that have changed their life and dedicated their lives to helping us. And I say us because I am one of 
you. We are all one. I don't believe there's them and us. I believe there's only us. It's only we. Yeah, and nobody's going to pressure them when they call. Nobody's going to say, give us your name. We're going to call you back. We're going to come or whatever. They're just going to listen, talk to them. When they're ready, they're going to give them what they need, right? They're going to do it. You can call and get information. You can get your questions answered. They're not going to out you. They're not going to do something where, oh, my God, I wasn't ready, but now I've blown my cover and I'm going to be in a hot spot. That's not going to happen. You can call. You can talk to them. They're going to answer your questions, give you information, and tell you what you need to know, right? Yeah, 100%. And if you... If you know what you you may need, maybe you just need you want to remove a gang tattoo. You'll be you get transferred to tattoo removal. Or maybe you wanna you want job development and come in to work with one of the job developers to find you a job. And it's okay. We have jobs that are felony friendly. So if you have a record or if you've just gotten out of prison, we have those employers that are willing to take you on. You just have to make that commitment and come into Homeboys and ask for that help. And it's not really asking for help. It's just coming and being present and saying, you know what? I just want change. I want something different in life. And somebody hears that, they're going to know what to do. They're going to they're gonna talk to you. They're going to make you feel loved. They're going to make you feel the same way you should feel in life right now. And if you don't, I apologize. But don't ever give up. Well, that's been a key with you is hanging in and not giving up. And you know what I want people to understand is, Everybody has a currency. Everybody has something to offer. You know, you said with you, it was your physical attributes. And my family was really poor. And it was the same thing with me. I was a pretty decent athlete. So I was the family's entertainment. You know, they'd come to the games for free. And that was our entertainment. And that was my currency at the time because I didn't have the clothes and I didn't have the cars and stuff like that. But my currency, my claim to fame was my athletic skills and abilities. And so if you're in a gang and you think you don't have currency, you know, homeboy industries are going to help you find a way to fit. I mean, I know they do. They find out what you're good at. They help you discover it. They may help you get your GED or whatever, but they will help you find out you have something more to offer than gangbanging. Big time, big time. I mean, just look, if you sold dope and I put you inside the bakery, you can weigh the flour. Huh, think about that. You've been weighing dope for how long? Yeah. You already have job skills. Your lived experience transfers into the job. And as it transfers into the job, you're able to heal too if you can get into seeing a counselor, seeing a therapist, maybe some of the self-help groups. So you will be able to better handle society and just heal ourselves. You know what I mean? Like a tagger, if you're, if you're blowing up these walls and, and just what society calls defacing property, I call it, yeah, if it ain't your property, don't paint on it. You know what I'm saying? Like, you don't own the shit. But with that being said, you have a skill. You're able to learn that, whether it be computer graphics, making signs, whatnot. There is a place for you in this world. I just left the, bro. I was in New York filming FBI, which comes out the 31st of this month. It's a new show on CBS. And while I was in Brooklyn, I was tripping on how they were doing, every other block has these two guys on these on the scissor lifts doing murals. And they do the murals every other week on all these buildings. These are old, and I, I was talking to these guys, these are old, legitimate, respected taggers. Really? And now they are getting paid thousands to do full walls, and yeah. it's beautiful. And that is the lived experience that you will find once you come to a place like Homeboy Industries and you find who you really are and what you deserve and the joys that you that, that are waiting for you in life, man. You, We all own that. 
and we all deserve it. So there's a way out, and there's something you can do. There's value there. We're going to keep trying to keep these kids from taking that wrong turn, and I want you to keep helping us because you're making a big difference in these kids' lives. I thank you, Dr. Phil. I'm here for you, boss man. I appreciate you just believing in me. You've always answered the call, and they're going to keep coming. Joseph, thanks for sitting down with me. Thank you, sir. Thank you for having me.